everyone. Welcome to Backstory Sessions. I'm your host, Matt. We hope you enjoy this episode. Another episode of Backstory Sessions. I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey, Kat. Hey, everyone. How are you? Well, Matt, this is a time of the year coming up with the holidays that um, people can, you know, get a bit of anger and anxiety. Uh, because No. Yes, the holidays, and there's so much... <laughs> Um, so much expected. I, I feel like, you know, every year I feel like ex- expectations are really high. Are you going to get the right gift for someone? Do you get a gift for someone? You know, how much do you spend? What if they take your Chinese, um, you know, Christmas <laughs> gift? <laughs> you know, how do you react to that? Right, right. And then there's like office parties and family gatherings and things like that that don't can all produce anxiety and maybe even anger, especially yeah. this, you know, these this year. Well, and I mean, uh, you know, you see all the time people like stealing your Amazon packages or that you've got the perfect gift and then, you know, it disappears or uh, with the postal service and, you know, delays like that can create anxiety. Um, You know, just a lot of things. Right. Uh, Black Friday shopping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and can you even do Black Friday shopping? You know, like, are you afraid with coronavirus and all of that? So I, I feel like this is going to be a really interesting episode. And we have luckily um, back with us um, our guest today, Aaron Stevens, who is a therapist. We had Aaron uh, on, if you remember, for the um, depression issue. I do remember and, that. Yeah, that. That was, I thought, really helpful and a really interesting episode um, for a lot of people that, I I mean, I learned some new information for sure. Yep, me too. So um, I think we will for this episode as well. And, um, you know, it's, um, I think one good way to lead into it is just to introduce our guest and then uh, let's just. Hit the ground running. All right. Sounded good. Okay. You know, or does that produce anxiety when I say that? (laughs) Not for me. Maybe for Aaron it does. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Well, hello there. Hello there. Yeah. Hey, we're happy to have you back. And, uh, you know, I I guess you're having um, an event that could produce some anxiety coming up as well. Absolutely. Yes, I have a wedding coming up, um, and that is the perfect um, perfect place to kind of lead into the idea of anxiety, because oftentimes places and, t- um, you know, having to be at a certain place at a certain time, um, the idea of a crowd of people having expectations, that is uh, fertile ground for anxiety. Well, and if you're having an outdoor wedding, uh, I would say, like, worrying about the weather. I would be like, oh, my gosh, you know, uh, we need plan B, C, D, you know, like everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. um, Anxiety is pretty much, you know, just the it's the disorder of what if, uh, if you want to summarize it in a really quick way, because that's exactly what anxiety boils down to. Uh, most people experience it's just a what if. Uh, we take a scenario, a situation, and we start to what if it. And we what if it in every degree possible. Uh, on, always in the bad way. Never in a good way. Yeah. So always I was negative. Gonna what ask, if. Why is that? Why is it not like, what if the sun is shining on your wedding day and everything is beautiful and there's a rainbow? And, you know, why do we not do that? Well, I think that's a matter of uh, po- uh, evolution. Um, it doesn't pay off for us to think about things going well. It pays off for us to worry about and be concerned with things not going well. Um, survival, you know, is 
thinking about what if something bad happens and being prepared for that. And so our brains are kind of keyed into always looking at the negative what ifs. Um, if we're always focused, you know, naturally focusing on the good what ifs, which is what we would like for people to do, um, but we're not going to be very well prepared. We're going to be kind of lulled into a false sense of safety. Um, so as a species or as a survival uh, evolution has kind of geared us to be always looking out for the potential dangers of a situation. So what then is the solution? I mean, we, because we don't want us going around being constantly worried just so we're prepared, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, one of the things is fortunately that we, we do have the ability to rationally think about our experiences, our lives, and the future. And so what we can do is, like in many cases, yes, we our natural urge is to think about the more negative, but we can consciously make the choice to try to shift our focus onto more reasonable or rational kinds of what-ifs, um, thinking about things in a more practical way um, are good ways to kind of manage and balance out that natural urge. You know, asking yourself, what can I do about a situation? Can I prepare for it? Can I make it go more smoothly? Can I look at the most likely things to go wrong and prepare for those and then realize that there is a limit to how far the what ifs really ought to go? You know, I could what if, uh, you no, know, speaking of the wedding, well, what if it's going to rain? That's a pretty likely thing that, you know, weather can go afoul. So, well, you know, we get some tents and we set those up in preparation for, a, you know, mild rain events. But beyond that, anything beyond that would be a little bit too far on the what if scale. You know, what if there was a tornado? What if there was a hurricane? What if there was an earthquake? What if, you know, a meteor were going to hit? Um, we can't prepare for those, not in any kind of reasonable way. So therefore, we have to know when we can scale back on our what ifs in a rational way. So do those still cross your mind and you just um, put them out of your mind by reason? Or um, should those not cross the, the mind of most people or is it just people that have the anxiety disorder that would go that far well i think that's a that's a good point is that for most people the brain is pretty good at eliminating those kinds of really out there what ifs it it knows kind of a balance point we worry a little and that's natural for everyone to worry a little about scenarios that are uncertain but people who have anxiety disorder, at the level of a disordered level, their brain is not good at shutting that off. It's not good at kind of reeling in and saying, okay, well, that's just way out there in left field. Um, everything is almost considered equally likely to happen. It's very hard. And people who have anxiety tend to have a very tough time discerning what is likely as opposed to what is very unlikely um, when it comes to their worries and their what ifs. Yeah, I think I read something, uh, someone had said, it's like you lump all the safe and the unsafe things together and just label them all unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good, that, yeah, that's a good way to, to summarize it. So, uh, so there's that inability or whatever to separate them again. Like they, they all just go to the negative, which is kind of fascinating to me, um, I mean, now that I understand it better since you're, you know, talked about survival and, um, mm-hmm. and, and how it kind of evolved like that. Um, but it does create like for people that have anxiety disorder, you know, I would think that that creates a, a lot of turmoil to always, you know, have all of these ideas uh, and, and, there always be the negative outcome like in your mind um, it would be hard to be the optimist while you're like you know flooded with these things that could happen uh, that most people are going to just like probably laugh at you for if you even mention like that you're worried about that oh yeah um, I'm sure that the experience um, well, as we have touched base, and, and briefly I'll re-mention that, you know, anxiety and depression are basically two sides of the same coin. 
for that very reason. When you are focused on all of the what ifs in the negative way about what could go wrong, it's very difficult to focus on what's going right in the moment. Uh, because if things are going okay now, your mind has already jumped into the future to when it might not go okay. And so it's really hard to enjoy the positives of life and think about the positives of life when, as a, if you have the disorder, you're constantly worrying about these very unlikely scenarios. Um, and then, as you've mentioned, when you're around people, other people are going to think of these things and, and see them as very unlikely to happen and have a difficult time understanding why you can't just get over it. This is a really easy that's the thing we hear a lot you know if you have anxiety people say, well, just get over it it's, it's, it's going to be fine so just let it go and that is absolutely one of the last things a person with anxiety can really do is just let it go well this i, w- I was looking through this i mean because i personally struggle with anxiety so you know as we're going through this like a lot of these things will seem uh, very real to me and, and I certainly can relate and understand them. But, um, you know, one thing that I was reading about was that people that are creative, um, writers in particular, uh, mm-hmm. that they have it was like 120% more likely to suffer from anxiety. And, you know, I, I can see that because in writing, you're always like, you know, for it's great really because it's like okay what if this happens all right let's see you know we so it gives you Mm -hmm. like a lot of abilities in writing um because you can think of endless you know scenarios Mm -hmm. thoughts and conflicts and um but then you know uh you come back to the real world and you still can think of those so um is it, I mean, is creativity like some kind of part of anxiety? Because, you know, a lot of artists are depression, like you were saying, it's the same, mm-hmm. the same coin, different sides. Mm-hmm. It seems like a lot of creative people uh, suffer from, from these. Well, I think it's a matter of, we know that for, for instance, we know that typically intelligence levels do correlate with increasing chances of having a mental illness like depression or anxiety. Um, creativity seems to be also linked. Um, and I think it's I think it's basically that, you know, the more creative you are, the more horrible things you can come up with, um, the more horrible outcomes you can imagine, as opposed to someone who's not very creative. You can come up with a lot more in-depth what-ifs. Um, an intelligence level typically is the same reflective is that if you, the more you are aware of what can go wrong, the more you have to worry about. Um, you know, when I get on an airplane, I don't know all the technical stuff. I just know that, hey, I don't want this thing to go down, right? So I'm not having anxiety about that. But if I were the pilot and I knew exactly how that plane flew and the weather and, and all the little mechan- you know, things that could possibly go wrong, I probably would just lose my mind because there's no way I could, you know, that kind of level of anxiety, knowing about all of the many little things that could go wrong, would be overwhelming for someone um, the more you know about them, if you're not used to it, uh, which is another factor of anxiety. Um, avoidance is one of the ways that we deal with anxiety. It's one of the primary ways that we try to make ourselves feel better. But avoidance is also one of those things that kind of reinforces anxiety. If I am nervous about flying and I don't fly, then I avoid the uh, confrontation or the anxiety that comes with flying, but I also never um, normalize it. I never, you know, I never have those positive experiences that help me to understand that, okay, yeah, it, I've flown many times and the plane has done just fine. Um, But if I've never had those many times for it to go fine, then my worry seems much more realistic. Well, that reminds me of, uh, an anxiety that I saw a post about, which is driving. Uh, how, I mean, in your experience, how common is it that you, that you see people that um, develop some kind of fear of driving, uh, even though they may have been driving for some time and whether it be because an accident almost happens or for no reason they can understand, uh, they become fearful of, of 
you know, anxious and almost can't drive anymore because they're too afraid. Uh, that's actually a fairly common one um, because driving, of course, does have an innate amount of danger to it. Um, and people get in little accidents all the time where people we know get in accidents. And again, as you said, sometimes we don't even have a point or a cause that we can say, oh, this is why I'm feeling anxious about driving and why I don't want to drive. Sometimes it just it just kind of grows into that from, from the anxiety that we may already have. But, yeah, that's a really common one, um, not being so, able to drive due to the anxiety. Do you encourage people then, um, you know, so like avoiding that, uh, it, it, you know, if they avoided driving, then obviously it's going to create problems like with getting places. But um, mm-hmm. do you encourage them when it may not be, I mean, is it still safe and they're just afraid? Uh, I mean, are they still safe drivers overall? Or, I mean, how does that work when it's something, you know, that potentially could be dangerous, I guess, to do? Mm -hmm. Or is it? Well, some people, you know, do experience panic attacks with their anxiety. Now, it's important for me to point out that we have two different disorders. So we have panic disorder, we have general anxiety disorder. And just because you have anxiety doesn't mean that you actually have to have panic attacks. Um, So some people can experience really intense anxieties uh, without having the panic attacks. But experience kind of shows that a lot of people who have some severe anxiety also have the panic disorder where they experience panic attacks that go along with it. Um, So um, in cases where people have panic attacks, sometimes it is a little dangerous for them to try to force themselves into or trying to deal with the situations, especially like driving, because we don't want someone to completely freeze or we don't want someone to, to be unsafe. However, within therapy, there's, there are ways for us to build up to the point of driving. So it's, it's called progressive um, well experiences, or we progressively expose people to levels of the thing that causes them anxiety in small steps. Um, so for like just a quick example, if people are afraid of spiders, we first start off by them just drawing a picture of a spider or looking at pictures of spiders. <laughs> and then while they're looking at those pictures or drawing pictures of a spider, we then have them do a lot of the um, anxiety coping skills, the breathing, muscle relaxation, visualization, things like that. And that helps them to learn that they can stay in control of their body response to anxiety. Um, and then, you know, as they get comfortable with seeing the pictures, as they get comfortable with controlling that anxiety response to just pictures, um, then we get like little toys or things that look like spiders and just set them out and let them get as close to them as they can. Uh, you know, and we, and we progressively work our way up into actually introducing a spider, say, like in a little terrarium or something. Um, and let the person try to get comfortable being around or near the spider, not necessarily crawling all over you. I mean, because, you know, when does that ever happen in life? We don't need that to happen. (laughs) So the tarantula isn't going to be, like, put on their arm or anything? No, I mean, not unless they just really wanted to take that plunge. And, you know, I mean, I guess it is getting close to Halloween, so, I mean, they could definitely want to play around with spiders. But uh, for the most part, you know, we... As in therapy, we look at the practical level of exposure, too. I mean, I don't, again, if you don't ever have a need to be touching spiders, then really getting comfortable with just being in the room with one and not completely having a meltdown or a panic attack when you see one is probably enough for most people to get through their lives in an acceptable level. Hmm. Yeah. How would you do that with raccoons? Because I know someone who's afraid of raccoons. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, very much the very much the same thing, you know. And then this can be done not necessarily within therapy. You can do these things yourself. Is just remember that exposure to the thing in gradual steps that you're able to manage is the key. So with raccoons, it would be the same. You might start off with just looking at pictures of raccoons, mm-hmm. watching videos about raccoons, um, and then. Uh, maybe getting some little plush toys or something of raccoons or getting something like a taxidermied raccoon mm. and getting close to that and touching it and feeling comfortable with it. And then you might work your way up to maybe going to the zoo if there's one available where they may have raccoons or um, that may be enough. You know, again, depending on what your purpose is for dealing with the raccoon fear, most people are not going to necessarily need to be able to go and just, you know, 
pick one up and try to pet it or something, which right. actually probably would not be a good idea. <laughs> but, you know, as long as you can like say, oh, well, there's a raccoon in my garbage can over there and not completely, um, you know, just fall apart. It's right, just like, yeah. okay, there's one over there and I'll just go in my house and leave it alone. Um, <clears throat> that would be a practical amount of exposure and getting you work to that level. So let, let's talk a little bit about uh, social anxiety. We were talking a little bit before about like, uh, you know, with the holidays coming up, people going to parties and things like that. And uh, a lot of people struggle with things like, um, you know, they, they don't necessarily want to go and, um, you know, they'd rather stay home and be away from people, especially now. And, uh, you know, they feel obligated to go because it might be a family function or something like that. And I know it causes stress and some people even have anxiety about it. Absolutely. So around holiday time, especially when we know we have these gatherings coming up, people who have social anxieties, agoraphobias and things like that, where they don't want to leave their home or they have sort of a safety zone, um, any of the, you know, those two things um, can really cause a lot of problems when it comes to trying to visit with family that you don't would rather not go and do. So same thing kind of applies, though. I mean, if you really want to deal with your anxiety, the only real path to doing so is confronting the thing and doing the thing that you feel anxious about. Mm-hmm. But doing so in a way that you gradually expose yourself to it is usually the easier path. Um you know, I mean, there's going to be some things out there where you, there's just not going to be any middle ground to um, for a lot of people, a lot of things. But, you know, with people, you know, slowly, gradually building yourself up to getting more comfortable dealing with social situations, you might start off with a small group of friends, maybe just having one friend, um, having a friend come over to your safe space and visit. Then you go and visit that friend. Mm-hmm. Um, then you, you know, make you know, with family or something, then you maybe visit a couple of friends or a couple of family members instead of a whole group and you work your way up and then practice these things that help us to cope with anxiety. As I was talking about before, there's a couple of things that we do in therapy to help teach people how to number one, calm down their body response to anxiety. And then number two, calm down the thinking process that fuels that anxiety, trying to rationalize it and be grounded in their thoughts and things like that. Mm -hmm. Are there like different levels of anxiety? I mean, you know, with depression, we were talking about like there's mild and severe and things like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. is anxiety sort of the same way? Yeah, yeah, uh, it absolutely is. Um, People, people even who have a generalized anxiety disorder will experience their anxiety in a particular way. Um, And of course, at, at, different intensities based on exactly what it is um, that they're dealing with. Um, Obviously, someone who has a social phobia or social anxiety would have a much more intense reaction to being having to deal with people and having to go into groups of people um, than they would if it was, you know, again, we talked about spider earlier. They may have no issues with spider whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, Their anxiety may be completely centered on the social aspect of it. Interesting. So what causes some people to to have these anxieties? Is it a, something in the brain or? Well, it's a combination of different things because there are, when we talk about anxiety, there's actually a number of particular disorders that all involve anxiety as their core. Um, One of those is a well-known, you know, PTSD. That's an anxiety-based disorder that comes from trauma experience. And so, of course, therefore, you know, things that we experience throughout our lives can most definitely instill an anxiety trauma response. Um, So experiences shape the way we deal with and experience anxiety. Genetics also, of course, play a role. Um, You may notice that there's a lot of, you know, if you've ever interacted with a lot of kids, you can, you'll notice that there are some kids who are just more nervous, more, um, you know, timid or more, uh, just worry more about things, doing things the right way, worried about the, you know, getting in trouble, worry about, you know, doing the wrong thing or getting caught all that, you know, and they worry about it where other kids are just like, Hey, they're just playing around doing whatever they want to do. And if they get caught and in trouble, then they deal with it. Then you can see even at a young age, 
that people who some people at least who have general anxiety disorder start start displaying those traits very early on. That's interesting. And so um, I guess as, as we look at this, um, I wrote down some triggers because I, I guess mm-hmm. like sometimes it's, you know, the spider uh, or something like that. But, but there are things, uh, other things that maybe people might not think about that can trigger anxiety. Um, so I wrote down just some that um, when I was looking at it said that these are hard for, for many people that have anxiety is an unexpected phone call. And mm-hmm. I guess you, you could see why, um, you know, anything that's like off of a certain course that you have in your mind of the way the day is going to go, anything that veers from that is makes you think, you know, what if, mm-hmm. what has happened? Why is this, you know, Absolutely. I guess are people very structured, like they like structure. I like structure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when things change, it's very hard for me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I wonder, you know, um, what can people do in dealing with, with change? Um, because it's inevitable that you know, you could be, it could be a telemarketer, but why would your mind automatically go to this unexpected phone call? Although telemarketers might be bad, but you know, <laughs> not in a scary kind of bad. Um, you know, why is why is that? that? Just a phone call that you didn't expect would trigger. Well, a phone call is very much like the big. It's it's like the the gaping maw of the void. You don't know what's going to come from the. When you pick up that phone, there's no way to know what that call, who that person is, what's it going to be about. It's a, it's almost a helpless feeling for some people. When they pick that phone up, they don't know what to expect. Good news, bad news, and of course, if you have anxiety, then of course it's going to be bad. In some way, this experience will be not a good thing. And so if you have anxiety, a phone call uh, can be extremely uh, anxiety-producing. Um same thing is if someone shows up at your door and knocks on your door, some people will completely freeze, wouldn't even open it, would actually hide in their homes if someone knocked on their door. Because again, it's this this unknown. It's this vast unknown of what's going to happen. And with anxiety, it really does often boil down to this what if, but this what if is also about control. It's about not feeling in control of the environment that you're in. And one of the ways that anxiety expresses itself is in um obsessive compulsive disorder uh, where people feel very strongly in trying to control their their environment in order to make sure that they are okay that their relatives are okay that the situation is okay you know so as long as i you know repeat myself three times uh at the end of every fourth sentence i I, everything will be fine or um some other as long as everything is in a perfect order if everything is in the way that i would do it or as long as my routine continues the way it's supposed to, that everything will be fine. And so anxiety is about the what if and the control. Wow. Well, so I guess this is like part of another disorder maybe with, I don't know, um, hoarding, if that has anything to do with anxiety, but um, clutter was one of the things um, with anxiety. Um, So how, how is that a trigger for anxiety? Well, um, clutter itself can be a symptom of the anxiety and or depression, um, primarily because for people who are anxious, again, they overthink things, they tend to what if things. And, you know, one of the easy what ifs is, well, what if I need that? What if there comes a day where suddenly I need that empty can of Pringles or something? You know, (laughs) what if? uh, So we, you know, with anxiety and what ifs, it becomes really easy to justify keeping things to not throwing things away. Uh, because again, throwing something away implies a certainty, a certainty that it will never be needed in your life again. Um, now for most people that may sound ridiculous. Like, of course I don't need that, you know, empty chip bag or that whatever. But if you have anxiety, everything is on equal level in that what if category of, you know, it's just as likely that it's going to rain tomorrow in your mind as it is that you will need that chip bag tomorrow as well. 
so it becomes hard or difficult to get rid of things, becomes, um, it becomes hard and difficult to change the routine. So if there's a pile of laundry that's been in the corner for three days, well, who am I to change that? That's the way it's, that's the way it's been for three days. I don't want to change that. That's going to be a change in my routine. It'll make my make things look different. So I leave the pile of laundry there because it comforts me. It adds a layer of perceived control to my environment. So if every day, um, you know, you get a, a phone call, um, you know, with someone mm-hmm. and that you're expecting every day at whatever time and they don't call that day at that time, mm-hmm. um, most people would be thinking, like, if you don't have anxiety, what would you be thinking if you don't get the call at that day, at that time? Well, probably if you don't have anxiety, you might not even think about it at all. It might, you know, time might pass and you may not, oh, oh, so-and-so didn't call today. Huh. Oh, okay. I guess they'll call tomorrow. If you have anxiety, it's going to be, oh, my gosh, they've died. The plane has crashed. The, their house collapsed. Something horrible has terribly happened here. Um, and you won't be able to push those thoughts away very easily, and you will need uh, and probably will seek soothing through someone else telling you that everything's okay, Uh, which is another kind of major part of anxiety is people who have anxiety have a difficult time doing what we call self-soothing, giving themselves permission to be okay. um, With anxiety, we tend to need other people's permission or validation to be okay. And even then that usually doesn't last very long, but we do tend to seek it out. Um, So in that case, you know, you wouldn't be able to tell yourself, Hey, everything's okay. You know, if there was a problem, you would hear about it. That person will call when they can, you're going to need that person's voice. You're going to need them to tell you, Hey, I'm fine. I'll, you know, it was just late. And you're going to need, you know, the anxiety is going to drive you to seek that soothing from another person or someone who might know that person even might call around and, Oh, I'm going to call their neighbor and then have their neighbor check in on them and make sure they're okay. Okay. Um, Noise. That was another trigger that was listed. Uh, Why does noise, uh, how would that impact people? Some people with anxiety. Um, So anxiety is really just sort of a hyper, hyper state of your fight or flight. So when you're in fight or flight, any amount of stimulation or additional stimulation can be found to be additionally annoying or provoking more anxiety because you're already in a very heightened state um, when you're experiencing a lot of anxiety. So noises, um, chaos around you, you know, just lots of motion, even if it's quiet, if people are moving, getting up, moving, getting up, moving around, such as in a crowd of people, um, so things like that, any sort of stimulation, overstimulation uh, of the senses, when you're already worried, is sort of like just pushing you over the top. It just adds to what's already going on in your stress response. So um, with road rage, since we're sort of going <laughs> into the holiday things here, um, you know, do is there something, is it, anxiety of or is it depression or is it uh, is there something else that causes anger in some drivers where you know just any little thing um someone cutting them off whatever is going to send them into a rage which seems like an over exaggeration of of what you know a lot of drivers might not get that upset about is that what is that well, now anger for sure um, can be part of anxiety, uh, an anxiety response. You know, if you're irritated, you're anxious, it's easy for you to, it's easier for us to lose our temper and to express our, you know, our anger in negative ways. However, oftentimes we find that people who experience road rage or another angry outburst, um, anger is more of a problem for them in all areas of their life, maintaining their temper is always is a problem in multiple places road rage especially because it combines this idea of threat um so when you're driving as we talked about you know you know it is inherently dangerous so any potential threat that you see someone cutting you off someone just i don't know uh switching lanes too quickly or 
basically anything you disapprove of when you're driving, you could potentially take that as a threat against your life. And anger is chief, its chief purpose. The reason we have that emotion is to let us know that something needs to be done, that something about either ourselves, our family, or something we value is in danger. And anger gives us that emotion to alert us that something needs to happen. Something needs to be done uh, because there's some danger or there's a threat of some kind. And so on in driving, there's a lot of potential threats on the road. And if you have a difficult time managing that emotion, then, it, you, again, we get a lot of road rage because people take everything as a threat to them personally. They personalize these actions they see. And because they have personalized them, they take them as a personal threat to their safety. And thus, their anger comes out um, in full force. Which is kind of like a protection. I mean, I can see how you you might think, you know, that's a useful skill at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the road, that could be, you know, it could, um, well, it's going to make you uh, uh, feel bad, if nothing else, for, you know, for that time mm-hmm. period. But then, you know, it could escalate if the other person is the same. Uh, you know, then you see like instances where people fight over parking spots, um, yeah. you know, or, or I mean, actually get into physical fights over things that start out as just, um, uh, you know, a minor something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that leads us to shopping, which I think Matt mm-hmm. mentioned like about Black Friday. Uh, you know, we see videos all the time of people that get into fights over the last PlayStation or whatever it might be. Um, how, how do you deal with that anxiety of, um, you know, still going to Black Friday or whatever, shopping things uh, without the fear of, you know, getting beat up? <laughs> well. Something. Now, now, in well, in that particular case, I think there's a couple of things playing out there. I mean, obviously, there could be a social anxiety of the, the crowds of people, um, the fears of what if, you know, what if someone loses their temper at me? What if someone gets angry? What if, uh, you know, some kind of riot breaks loose over the latest toy that's running short or whatever? Um, there's a lot of what if potential when it comes to Black Friday or shopping during the holidays like that. So it increases the experience of the anxiety, gives you more what ifs to worry about. And some of them uh, may actually, of course, be not so unreasonable. Um, So, you know, that's where trying to draw a line between what is likely to happen and what is not likely to happen and trying to find that space to understand, like, do I need to prepare for this? Do I, you know, if you know ahead of time that a space or a situation might potentially be dangerous, then you have to weigh out whether that danger is worth going into or not. And that's whether you're an anxious person or just a normal everyday, you know, without having any anxiety, you still have to weigh that out. Do I necessarily want to be the first person there at the door for, for some limited release item that's likely to incite the crowd when it runs out? Probably not. Probably not a wise thing to do, you know, because it's likely that something bad will happen. And that's not just anxiety. That's just looking at, you know, the potential of the situation. Now, anger in that situation is kind of a different beast. In this case, people are, again, looking at these items or these things that they're shopping for as needs, and because other people taking those things is a threat to them, then it does increase the likelihood that they will respond with an angry response. And, of course, most people are not really good at managing their anger, so that response will probably be less than constructive. Wow. That's some good advice, you know, that's going to be needed really soon. Um, Matt, did you have, I have a few more situations here that I've been down, but <laughs> did you have some? Uh, not, not not a situation per se, but um, I was just wondering, I, I've heard it said that anger is a useless emotion. Would you agree with that? Or is there like uh, a time and place where... A little bit of anger might be okay. I would, I no, no, I definitely would disagree. Um, all emotions are useful. That's why we have them for reasons, and the reasons are there. What we do with the emotions can be very different and 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 negative, or 
you know, not constructive. But anger is a, is a, is a really good emotion to have because it does let us know that there's a threat to something that we value, ourselves, our property, our loved ones. And when we see or perceive a threat, we feel angry. Now, what we do with that anger, of course, needs to be uh, proportional to the response, you know, to what's happening. It needs to be rational based in, you know, this is going to achieve my goal of protecting the thing that I'm feeling is threatened. Um, and, you know, of course, we need to think about it in the context of, okay, what are the potential consequences of, you know, my actions that I plan to do here? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like uh, we were talking about with the shopping, uh, if you're shopping and, and you're trying to get that latest electronics that's out there or whatever, and somebody reaches over and takes the last one, well, you're going to feel anger. But you can take that anger and say, okay, well, oh, shoot, you know, I'm going to have to go to another store. That would be a constructive <laughs> use of that. It's like I don't want to go to another store, but I, but my anger gives me energy now and frustration, and I want to deal with it. So I'm just going to go to another store, and I'll, I'll fight through that crowd, and I'll see if they have it. Hmm. Whereas a less than constructive might be that you would threaten that person's life that just took it or grab it out of their hands or shove them over and grab what they took and ran. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that would be a much less constructive way of handling your anger. But if you've ever seen any videos of, uh, you know, chimps and monkeys or things eating food and people are throwing it out, they, you know, it's the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. they grab what they can, they shove what they can. And, you know, if, if somebody reaches to get it, they, they bare their teeth and hiss and run off with what they can get. Hmm. So is... is... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So is not, I mean, there's a lot of people who just, you know, they just don't anger very easily or whatever. I mean, is that like the opposite extreme? Is that like, um, is that an issue that maybe they're not dealing with because they don't feel anger? Or are they sane? (laughs) Yeah. Well, a lot of times we find that people do repress their anger or they transfer their anger in situations. Um, classic scenario, you know, you're at work, your boss yells at you. Um, you can't obviously come back at your boss, so you come home, and as you're coming home, you kick your dog. Mm-hmm. Um, that transference of anger can happen a lot of times. So when you see people who seem to have no angry response whatsoever, even when in all assessments, they probably ought to be angry. More than likely what's happening is they are either internalizing their anger, taking it out on themselves, beating themselves up, insulting themselves, doing things like that internally, Mm -hmm. or they're transferring that anger to some other point in their life. It's kind of being transferred over to some other outlet um, in another situation where they feel they can express that anger. Um, And speaking of holidays, this is a good point to point out is that oftentimes we feel safe expressing these negative feelings around people who we care about and love us more than we would actual strangers. So that's one of the reasons why in family gatherings, they tend to, if they go south, they tend to go real south, you know, um, because we're in that safe environment where we feel like we can take out these feelings and express our feelings in open ways without any major negative consequences. Because those people so, you know, love us or we love them. So, therefore, we let it all out. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, well, so, pretty much humans are screwed as, you know, a species. <laughs> because if you're overly angry, then that's not good. And if you're, if you're not easy to anger, then, uh, you know, you may be projecting that in other ways is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, most likely. I mean, there is, of course, there are people out there who um, have, know how to manage their anger pretty well, and they are also not, you know, internalizing it or, or transferring it. Uh, but, but on the whole, um, you know, again, if you see someone who is not reacting with anger when they really ought to, there's probably something going on there. Um, you know, unless that person is like a Zen Buddhist monk or something like that, or one of those royal guards of the royal palace. Uh, or, you know, one of those kinds of things, unless they're really well-practiced at managing their own anger response, uh, more than likely they are probably transferring it or internalizing. Mm. Which is not good either, so. Hmm. Right. 
what's your next uh uh oh so <clears throat> i i asked you this question about depression but like um do you manage your anger and anxiety well as a uh therapist um i you know that's again one of those fun things i have my things that definitely overwhelm my anxiety there are things that certainly um overwhelm my ability to cope with anxiety mm -hmm. um i i do feel like uh because of the training that i have because i do work with a lot of people on these techniques i do at least feel i'm a little more in control than maybe the average person when it comes to your everyday anxieties um simply because i kind of know that i need to head it off i do kind of know the things i need to do to help it um resolve prior to becoming a level of panic but you know there's going to be things that are always going to overwhelm a person's anxiety you know if certain things uh, again experiences from the past traumas from the past things like that can be no matter how well practiced you are sometimes they can present them what themselves in a way um, that triggers that anxiety and it just it just it just comes out of nowhere basically mm -hmm. yeah uh, I always find it interesting to uh, see how people who treat other people for these things uh, like anger and depression and anxiety and stuff uh, how they manage it themselves um, I just find mm -hmm. that really interesting uh, Kat what do you got well, so I'm curious, um, you know, we, we, we've talked a lot about anxiety and anger and the holidays and, um, you know, they're, they're upon us. Um, so when some of these situations happen, uh, what are some good tips? You know, like, I mean, I joked about like you're doing Chinese Christmas exchange or whatever, <laughs> you know, someone takes your present and maybe you're glad like they picked that one because you didn't want it anyways, but you know, sometimes people do get upset over, you know, that kind of thing because they think, oh, that person just did that because it was me or, you know, um, so what are some tips for uh, dealing with anxiety? If you don't want to go to a party, but you feel like you are obligated, if somebody gets you a gift and you, you don't really want to get them one or you feel like you, okay, you feel like you have to go in debt. That's a, I think that's a common one that puts a lot of um, stress and anxiety, like because your child wants whatever that, you know, the other kids are getting and you don't really have the money for that. Uh, you are going to go in debt all year um, and then you worry about the debt all year because but you want your child. So, you know, what are the tips that can make the holidays like better for us? What can we start thinking about now? Well, I, some of those, I think some of that is a pretty complex um, situation. You know, like uh, as you were describing about, you know, the anxiety over the idea of getting someone a gift um, is a really complex thing when you start adding into, you know, like disappointing your child or how they're, how the child's going to be treated by others if they don't get one of these things or, you know, so some of that stuff is probably beyond just anxiety. Um, but Anytime that you're experiencing any kind of anxiety, the thing to, to really kind of remember is, number one, avoidance will not help you in the long run. It might make you temporarily feel better, uh, you know, to not go to that party, to give yourself permission to not, you know, what, I'm not even going to do Secret Santa this year. I don't even want to participate or uh, I'm not going to go over to Uncle Joe's. I, I, I hate it over there. It's awful. It's terrible. Just, I never have a good time, so I'm just not going to go. So avoiding things is never a long-term answer to anxiety. Um, if you, if you can think about it, again, in anything that you're feeling anxious about, you should try to, to get yourself to do it to whatever degree you can push yourself comfortably. So for instance, if it's a going to visit relatives, you know, give yourself a time limit, give yourself permission. You know, I'm just going to go and stay for an hour. I'm going to stay for an hour, see who's there, say hi to everyone then I'm leaving and I'm out. And if that's all you can tolerate, that's fine. That's good enough. Um, if you can push yourself a little bit to get to that hour, then that's good. You're pushing yourself past those comfort boundaries. You're, you're trying to overcome the avoidance that would otherwise prevent you from going at all. And that's a good thing. That will slowly chip away at something that you're anxious with. Is if you just can push yourself to that zone of discomfort, just make yourself do the thing just enough to where you start to feel uncomfortable, but not so much that you feel overwhelmed by it. 
And so what are the signs that we should look for when maybe the anxiety we're experiencing is um, the type that might need treatment? Okay. Well, this goes uh, along the same lines as any other mental health disorder that we talk about, is that if your anxiety begins to get in the way of you living the life, um, living your life in a way that can that you feel content with, you feel okay, um, then it's probably time to go and talk to someone about it. Hi, everyone. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, and uh, we ran into a little bit of an issue um, with the recording of the end of this. Uh, the recording equipment decided to stop working, so Aaron's interview got a little short so uh, we apologize for that and you know it's one of those anger and anxiety producing situations we've been talking about um, it just happened that well in the you know in the recording process things happen sometimes that you can't control and uh, this was one of them so we apologize to Aaron for uh, you know, cutting his interview short, we tried to get him back, but scheduling wouldn't allow it. So uh, we weren't able to uh, re-record the end of it. But anyway, we hope you liked what you heard and uh, it was helpful. And, um, you know, we'll have Aaron back again to talk about another topic in the future. So... Anyway, we apologize, and uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Take care. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can send those to cat at iwriteplays at outlook.com, or you can write to me at backstorysessions at gmail.com, or matt at level11ventures.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.